Maybe don't know. Maybe don't know. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 88 of the Power Company podcast, brought to you, as always, by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. Exciting things are happening over here. Uh, Well, stressful things, but exciting nonetheless. Uh, I just hired my friend Lana to help with office duties, uh, emails, shipping, and such. She's been amazing so far. Lana, you want to say hi? You're going to have to yell loud. That's Lana. So if you hear uh, hustle and bustle going on in the background, it's because Lana is packing up shirts and finger care kits and shipping them out to you guys. And uh, actually, that just means a giant, crazy upheaval in my system, but it's going to be all for the better. Uh, So anyway, things are about to get extra crazy over here because... We've got the upheaval going on. I just got back from a great trip to Joe's Valley, and I'm just about to hit the road for three weeks in the east. So if you're around any of the spots where I'll be, let me know. This weekend, start of next week, I'll be in St. Louis with my friends at So Ill, at Climb So Ill. Uh, I'll be emceeing the So Ill Showdown, and I'll be doing a few workshops for one of our absolute favorite communities out there. Um, So please come and see me if you're in St. Louis. Hit me up. Then I head to Columbia, Maryland for the Performance Climbing Coach Seminar with Steve Bechtel, Tyler Nelson, Kelly Dreger, Charlie Manganello, and Neely Quinn. And then Nate and I meet up in Alexandria, Virginia uh, for a week of workshops at Sport Rock, which we're really, really excited about. I love meeting new communities, getting to work with new people. Um, So we're stoked to see you guys out at Sport Rock. So if you're in the area, please check out the workshops. Um, Then I'll likely be emceeing collegiate nationals in Houston, which is going to be kind of fun. I haven't done a big, big comp in a little while, and it'll be fun to go from the SOIL showdown to the collegiate nationals. Um, So looking forward to that. A couple days in the red, then I head back west for an Eric B. and Rakim concert with my friend Brendan Leonard. So busy start to the spring, but you know, that's what we got to do. Anyway, today I'm going to try something new here, a remote conversation. So far, I'm still not a big fan, Um, not to the point of wanting to do it more than once or twice a year, but if I get it right, I know it could be a valuable tool. And, you know, sometimes I just need to talk to people that way. I can't make it to them. So I think I'll be using it very rarely, but using it nonetheless. I really do love the in-person conversations, Um, you know, and frankly, the patron support is what makes those possible, gives me the freedom to travel for, you know, at least relatively nearby conversations. So I appreciate the patrons. You guys keep this going. So thank you and expect that to continue. That's going to be 99.9% of what we do here in-person conversations. 
In the case of today's guest, Dr. Jared Vagy, we're planning to meet up at CWA this May and record two more episodes, so this seemed like a really good chance to get to compare the two situations, the remote versus the in-person, because, you know, hashtag science. It's my own little mini-study. Uh, if you aren't familiar with Dr. Veggie, he's a doctor of physical therapy, an orthopedic specialist who specializes in treating climbing injuries, and he's a professor at USC. Somehow he also found time to write his recent book, Climb Injury Free. I don't know how he does all that. I can barely keep up with what I do. Uh, I did have an early copy of his book, and it's not one you're going to read cover to cover, which is how I actually initially went into it. And I have, however, used it frequently since. I pull it off the shelf for reference. Every time someone's talking, one of my clients is talking about a little nagging tweak they've got. Um, so it's been a really great reference tool for me. Um, Jared's got an infectious enthusiasm for talking about prehab and rehab, and he's built this really easy to follow and effective system of dealing with and avoiding injury. Um, and I think that's really important. We're going to be doing three parts, um, in keeping with his system. And today we're going to start with mobility. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, this time, this time, this time. It's actually going to boost your climbing performance. So if you're more mobile, if you're stronger, if you're climbing with good movement patterns, to complement a, a strong training program. This time, this time, power, power. This time, the build, power. This time, 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 the build, power. Okay, well, I'm I'm super stoked to finally get to chat with you. We've been trying to do this for a while, and you're only the second person I've had in a remote interview. The other one's Ben Moon, so you're in rarefied company there. All right. Yeah, and I think I think this will be a good start, and then when we you know meet up later on, we can do a couple more. And you suggested three interviews in you know a three part structure. And you suggested talking about mobility first. Why mobility first? Well, one thing I want to kind of stress or point out to climbers is a lot of climbers really regimen their training and they systemize and they pay a lot of attention to what they train and how they train. But there really is no system for injury prevention and no system for rehabilitation. And right. so one of the big things I want to put out, and I've developed the system called the Rock Rehab Pyramid, but it's, it's quite simple, is for any injury prevention or any rehab, just like you would train for climbing, you need to prioritize the sequence of what you would do. So let's say you have any type of injury. Let's say you have a finger injury. Well, mm -hmm. the first thing that you would do, the, the bottom of this pyramid, per se, would be unload the tissues, take stress away from them and allow them to go through a healing response. So that would be pain, inflammation, tissue overload, that phase. And what do you do? Well, you, you take some stress off of it. You may tape it. You may do different types of things to, to unload it. That, that's one aspect of the pyramid. The, the next thing is then it usually stiffens up and you need to regain the mobility. 
and regain sure. flexibility. And, and that's where I want to put the emphasis today is, okay, after you unload that area, then you have to regain your normal range of motion. Once you get that, the, the next level is, well, you got to get it strong again. You have to improve the strength or the muscle and tendon performance. And so that's that third level where we can, you know, in the next podcast discuss, well, okay, once you get your mobility, how do you maintain it, utilize it and strengthen in that range? And then the final section is movement, which is to me, one of the most important parts of the process is, all right, once you unload the tissue, once you've regained your mobility, once you've strengthened it, well, now you have to utilize it in climbing specific movement. And how can you move on the wall to allow that tissue to heal, to minimize stress, and then increase your climbing efficiency? So I want to spend this, uh, this episode talking about mobility, defining mobility, and then going through a series of different body regions so the climbers can listen and look at their own body and start to identify some of their own mobility deficits. Great. I think that's I think that's super helpful because, you know, we're all trying to self-diagnose whether that's whether that's a good idea or not. That's kind of what we all go to. So I think it's a really good idea to give people this system that you've built to to kind of work through. Yeah, and the big thing is I'm always going to say go to a medical professional if something hurts, if something's painful. But the reality you know, I've been in that situation. I, you know, a lot of even my climbing friends or, or people I climb with, like, no, you're going to, you're going to ask your buddies, you're going to yeah. read what's online. You're going to do everything that you can do that you think is helpful. And then yeah. if that all fails, then you go see a medical professional. Yeah, totally. It, it always seems to be a last resort and I'm guilty of that as well, for sure. I'm, I may be the worst offender. Um, but, but I agree with you. I think that that having a system to work through is, you know, I think it's necessary for people. I do have a quick question before we get into the mobility. Yeah. Um, when you're unloading the tissue, so the step right before mobility, mm -hmm. are, do you generally suggest not climbing at all? Or are you, do you suggest a different protocol for different injuries and different severity? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm quite liberal in my approach to climbing. And I typically see climbers after they've seen, you know, two or three other medical professionals, they've been told to not climb at all for three months, their symptoms are worse. I'm a big proponent of progressive loading. Now, if you have a serious injury, let's say you have a you know, pulley sprain in your finger. That's a grade, grade three sprains, you know, quite serious. It's, it's something where, you know, you put any pressure on it, it hurts. You know, of course, don't climb, allow right. time for it to scar down and, you know, take some conservative measures that way. But I'm a huge proponent of climbing with modification. And okay. at the very least, even in that grade three pulley example, Put some, grab some tennis balls gently in your hands and climb a bunch of slabs in the gym, right? And pr practice sure, your footwork. Sure. Yep. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty big on a progressive return to climbing. And that's what research is starting to support these days, that you can get back sooner to the sport or activity or function if you integrate early motion or early mobility after injury. Okay, good. And in my own anecdotal evidence, that's what has always seemed to work the best. Um, so I just wanted to know your take on it there and whether I was leading people astray by telling them 
maybe taking time off isn't the best idea all the time. Yeah, it's obviously a case-by-case basis, but I'd say the majority of time that people come to see me, I say, no, we're climbing. We just have to come up with a plan how not to stress the area that you injured while you climb. Right. Okay. So, you know, we've taken some time off or we've progressively loaded it and we're we're to this stage where we want to work on mobility. Um, first off, what's the difference between mobility and flexibility? Is there a difference? Well, it's interesting. We I've had this discussion before and it actually, the term and the semantics are always going to get, you know, butchered, changed, redefined through, uh, whether you're dealing with a certain specialty, such as let's say physical therapy, whether you're dealing with personal training, whether it's, um, a general public and in climbing, typically this consensus is flexibility is more of a passive range, such as your ability to, you know, someone can almost like stretch into a position and right. mobility is your ability to actively utilize that range of motion that you have. Gotcha. And that in climbing is the typical definition, but I can say through professions, uh, they, they change quite differently. And in physical therapy, mobility means something quite, you know, quite different. Um, so, but I, I can say that I, I'd rather define mobility in terms of of what's uh, encased in or, or what components make up mobility itself. And I'm going to define loosely mobility as just someone's ability to move through an available range. That's that's how we'll, we'll define it for this podcast. Okay. And if works you think about, it's what? I said that works for me. All right. Um, so if you think about it, there's a few things that can limit mobility. And I'll talk about the, the most common. So the first is joint. So you can have a, a stiff joint that can limit mobility. So if you think about it, uh, an easy example here is in the fingers. So if everyone uh, takes a look at their hand right now, that's listening. Chris, you can do this as well. Yep, I am. And <laughs> go ahead and, and make a claw where you keep the, the knuckles of your fingers straight and then the, the middle knuckle bends and you're almost making a, a big claw and trying to touch your, your uh, edge of your finger, your DIP or your, your phalanx down to your palm. Okay. And are you able to get the full, full distance? Yep. Okay. And then what you can do, some people that have really stiff joints, they're, they're not able to get in that position. The joint or the knuckle is actually limiting that range. And so what you can do to determine whether that's a joint or whether that's some of the tendons in the finger is if you just flex your fingers forward and you almost wear like you're, if you were to punch someone while maintaining that pressure against your hand and you can't increase range of motion and you feel that in your knuckle, that would be what would be called joint stiffness. And that's coming just from the, the joint or the capsule within the knuckle. Gotcha. And a lot of climbers have been climbing for a long time, you know, and they especially have been like finger crack climbers <laughs> climbing for a long time, you know, as the joints start to swell, uh, that's, that's stiffness within the joint. And you treat each type of mobility differently. And that's what I'm going to emphasize through this podcast mm-hmm. is what we're defining right now, that's joint stiffness. That's going to be different than how you treat a muscle. And um, so that's the, that's the first example of something, a joint that can limit range. Okay. Um, the next thing, if you think about it, uh, like a muscle, maybe uh, if everyone that's listening now, if you're standing, and hopefully no one's driving at this moment, but if you're, <laughs> if, you're, 
if you're standing and you go into almost like a stride stance and you you have one uh, knee bent and the other leg uh, behind you in a stride and you put your hands against the wall and you lean forward, you should be able to feel a stretch in the back of your leg and your calf muscle. You, you know, press yep. the heel down into the ground and and that's a you know it's a calf stretch, but that's that's a muscle. That's um, a mobility deficit or a stiffness that you'll feel at the end range into a muscle. So that's a, a second thing that could cause limited mobility. You've got joint, you have muscle. Right. That's basically how my hamstrings feel all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty common. Um, so now this is the tricky part. So climbers are pretty good at saying, okay, oh, I got stiff, creaky joints or oh, my hamstrings are always stiff. I always feel this muscle. But there's a third component to mobility that is not as commonly talked about in climbing, and it's actually a huge factor. Uh, do you have any idea of, of what that would be? Mm, I would I would guess tendon or ligament, but that would be my only guess. Yeah, tendon, ligament, that's correct, but I usually clump that in with muscle. You know, as, as in like your calf muscle, you have a ten, you have a um, Achilles tendon that attaches, so it's it's all kind of one uh, one composite. And okay. so I'll normally put tendon or ligament in with muscle, but the third one is actually nerve mobility. Mm, and gotcha. yep. this is one that is always quite interesting because like, as I mentioned, I see a lot of climbers after they've seen other, you know, a couple of medical practitioners, I try and catch the things that haven't been caught. And a lot of climbers that have pain in their fingers or pain in their wrists or even in their forearm, it's actually not muscle. It could be nerve. And what happens, I'm going to have everyone try this first and let me know what you feel with this, Chris, too. Okay. This, this works for some people. It doesn't for others. And if you feel it, that means you're feeling your nerve. If you don't feel it, you're fine. It's just muscle. But if you, if you straighten your elbow and have it right out to your side, almost like in the letter T, so your, your arm is uh, reaching out to your side, yep. you extend your wrist back as far as you can, your wrist and fingers back as far as you can. And then you pull your arm back almost so you can feel a stretch in your chest. So you basically have your wrist back, your, your arms pulled back in that letter T and you can feel almost like a little stretch in your chest. Yep. So once you do that, if you tilt your head to the opposite side as far as you can, and if that changes what you feel in your chest, your wrist or your fingers, if it causes more tension, what do you think is going on with that? Nerves just aren't moving well, like they're not sliding well or something. Yeah, exactly. The nerves aren't sliding, gliding through their interfaces very well. And the, the nerves mm -hmm. come out of our neck. They go through foramen. They, then they slide through different muscles in our neck into the front of our chest, into our arm and all the way down into our fingers. And you imagine them as almost like a rubber band. And as you move your neck back and forth, it actually changes the tension of that nerve. So if anyone tried that, basically the arms out to the side, the wrist is back, the arm is pressing back so you feel a stretch in your chest. And if you move your neck and you feel that in your bicep, your wrist, or your fingers, what you're feeling, that sensation is actually the nerve. And yep. they respond quite differently to uh, treatment than a muscle. And so that's something that's really important to identify. And even you mentioned your hamstrings always feel really tight. Uh, well, there's actually a test you can try, Chris. If you lie down on your back and you straighten out your leg and you feel that tension in your hamstring, yep. 
and then you point your toe and then you flex your toe back. And if your toe movement, or sorry, your ankle, uh, you point your toes and then flex your ankle back. And uh-huh. if your ankle movement changes what you feel in your hamstring, well, that's actually nerve tension in your hamstring, the sciatic nerve, rather than the muscle itself. Really? Okay. So some, <laughs> something you can try after the podcast. Okay. I have a quick question for you based on nerves then. Yeah. Um, and this is totally a selfish personal question. Um, All right. This last year in in Waco, last winter, a year ago, um, I had not too long before come off of a shoulder surgery. My shoulder felt stronger than it ever had. And one day out climbing, making a big reach, whenever I loaded my arm in the big reach, it wasn't a muscle pain, but it felt like fire in my armpit. Mm. And... I let go immediately and it wouldn't, it would only happen when I reached all the way out at full extension and I could, and I could get it to recreate at any time just by reaching out at extension and loading the arm even a little bit. And ultimately because I'm partially an idiot and, (laughs) and I don't go the doctor route when I should, I would just put myself in that position and make it hurt even more. Oh, that's very typical. Yeah. To to kind of desensitize myself. Mm-hmm. And after after a little bit of that, it went away and I haven't felt it again. So my guess was it was a nerve thing, but I'm not sure. It does is that something similar to what we're talking about, do you think? Yeah. Can you describe the position one more time? What what position, what do you mean by extended with your arm? Um, pretty much the, the exact position you just put us in with Oh, my, got it. So, so in that letter T, like extended out from your side. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that quite possibly could have been a nerve, but the way in the moment to tell would have been if you moved your neck side to side or you even rotated gotcha. your head and that yep. changed what you felt in that axilla or in that armpit. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's a slam dunk. And then all you do with nerves, we'll talk more about how to train or how to treat them is you you go through these glides, these ways to kind of slowly get them moving through their interfaces. So it may have been quite possible, you know, you you treated yourself and and that's that's a good thing to do. Uh, but in the end, if it happens again, just move your neck and that that'll let you know what you're really dealing with. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I think it was, and I think I could change it by moving my neck. But you're not recommending that people make it hurt really bad just to desensitize themselves. No, usually, yeah, usually with with nerve injuries is you do want to desensitize, you want to slowly load, but you want to go through a progression. Of, okay. There's two there's two ways to and we can jump into this, you know, early on now. Um, there's two ways to really treat with nerves or really uh, get nerves moving. One is called a slider where you slacken the nerve on one end and you tension it on the other if that makes sense. So you're kind of pulling it back and forth through its tunnel, is that what's happening? Yeah, exactly. It's like you have a piece of dental floss in between your teeth and you're just kind of gliding it back and forth or if you're belaying someone and they're, you know, they're they're run out and then they keep climbing up and down right, climbing, right. you know, and you're you're looking at the, you know, the rope going through the belay device back and forth, tension mm-hmm. and slack, tension and slack. That's pretty much the the first recommended way to deal with nerve injuries. You just 
tension at one part of your joint, slacken at the other. So for that example that we gave, which stretches the median nerve, so if your arm's all the way out to the side in that T and your wrist is cocked back and you bring your neck to the opposite side and you feel that tension, yep, that's which a tensioner, which you do. Okay, so mm -hmm. you feel that. So now just bring your neck back to center. Does it decrease? It does. All right, and then you just move your neck back and forth. You do three sets of eight. That's a nerve tensioner. That's the more aggressive way of doing it. The less aggressive way is go ahead, have that arm out to your side. So just mm -hmm. as you had it, cock that wrist back, extend it back. And then instead of moving your head to the opposite side, bring your ear to the same side. Mm -hmm. And then as you bring your ear to the opposite side, you actually flex your wrist forward, if that makes sense. So, okay. so, so you're, if you're, in, if, you're pulling yeah. on both ends at the same yeah, time. So if, yeah, so if you're in like the letter T, everyone's doing this right now, like with your right arm. Uh, you extend your wrist back. You now bring your right ear to your right shoulder as your wrist is extended back. And then you flex your wrist forward as you bring your left ear to your left shoulder. And what that does is it just glides that nerve through its interfaces. You're not going to feel much, but that's the, the first option and the safest way to, to glide in. That's called a slider. Hmm. Interesting. So when we talk about mobility, you know, as we're defining it, so we have joint and that's that example of those knuckles that were quite stiff that we talked about. Right. Uh, we, we have muscle. We talked about the calf muscle that, that could be causing it, and you, you feel that uh, nerve. That was that tension that you felt, Chris, when you had your hand out to the side and you moved your neck. Mm -hmm. And then the final thing is bone. If everyone just takes their elbow and you fully straighten your elbow, there's really not much of too much tissue unless you're like a gym rat and you've just been like, you know, doing a bunch of pull-ups and bicep curls and, you know, and you have a lot of biceps tissue protecting that full extension, but there's really not that much except bone on bone contact that's stopping that motion. Right. And I'm not going to talk about how to treat bone. Um, and it's, it's a lot harder, <laughs> um, but, uh, but joints, muscles, and nerves are, are going to be what we'll put our focus in. And everyone that's listening now, the cool thing is now you can start to tailor some of your mobility exercises for each body region to whether it's a joint issue, a muscle issue, or a nerve issue. Cool. So you want to so, start with joint? Is that the... Yeah, or let's, we can even go through and we can go through body regions and, okay. and I can take, this is, let's have this be a little bit of a experiential podcast where uh, hopefully I can uh, describe the motions that, that everyone's going to go through, but I want to go through maybe each body region, describe the different mobility exercises, and then we could talk about what they're actually uh, targeting, you know, yeah, whether it's joint I'm muscle in. or nerve. All right. I'm, I'm in and I'm doing all the exercises while we talk. So oh, while you talk. All right. Sounds good. And if I'm, if I'm having a difficulty describing them, uh, just call me on it. And I'm sure that everyone listening will, you know, will want to hear a more appropriate way to do it. So I'm going to try and choose the right words um, to, to describe every, everything. Cool. All right. So where should we start? I'm assuming fingers is probably one of the most common. Yeah, I think, I mean, and you tell me, but I think fingers, shoulders, hips seem to be a uh, pretty common areas. Okay. Yeah. Let's go for it. Um, let's do, so let's start with fingers. So okay. how do you normally stretch your fingers? 
Uh, you know what? I don't really stretch them per se as much as I do when I'm warming up. I do a lot of um, like sort of pulses with my fingers, fast opening and closing. And then, and actually I, I started doing this after reading your book. I do the tendon glides as well. Oh, good, good. Okay, so you do some dynamic finger exercises. Mm-hmm. Okay, and just for everyone that's listening, that the tendon glides are, are basically, and you can look these up online, they're, they're pretty easy to find, but they're warm-up exercise where you basically go into a, a hook fist, you roll your fingers down into a closed fist, then you go into a, a kind of like a grasping your palm. They're pretty hard to describe over the air, but if you just type in finger tendon glides, you can, you can find those online or on my webpage at theclimbingdoctor.com. It's pretty easy to find. Yep. Um, but uh, so I want to go through a couple um, atypical uh, stretches for climbers. There, there's so much climbing information out there. And I, I see a lot of climbers statically stretching their, their fingers and their wrists uh, before they climb, which is was something I, I recommend against uh, that dynamic stretching that you're doing. The flicking and those tendon glides are, are what research really supports. But I want to go through a couple things that are a little bit different in this podcast mobility wise. And Chris, you can try these on yourself and, and we could start to see what you feel. But before we get going, have you had any finger injuries? Uh, you know, nothing serious. Um, I've had a few little tweaks here and there, but not really in a long time. Okay. Well, that's good. Good for you. So let's see how these work with you. But the, the first thing that I'm going to have you do is you're going to put your palm flat on the table or flat on your lap or, or whatever you can, you can place all the fingers firmly against something. Yep. And I want your wrist to be neutral. You're just straight. Okay. Now lift your thumb only and put it back down. Yep. Lift your index finger or pointer finger and put it back down. Okay. Same with your middle finger, same with your ring finger, and same with your pinky. And are you able to independently lift each one? Or yes. when you lift one, do the others go with it? Nope. I can independently lift them all. All right. So a lot of the people listening to this podcast as well, try that on yourselves. Some of you will be able to independently lift each of them. Some of you may actually not, and you have trouble differentiating uh, one tendon. So now I'm going to have you step this <laughs> up a little bit. Go ahead and extend your wrist so almost put your elbow directly over your wrist does that okay. make sense so your yep. your wrist is almost like uh, at a forearm stretch yep and now do the same thing try and lift your fingers and tell me what you see or what you feel i can lift my thumb barely okay uh index finger is really hard and i can't get it off the table but i can unweight it Okay. Middle finger, it's not going anywhere. Ring okay. finger, not going anywhere. Pinky, I can lift. All right. Now ease off of that and find the position where you can almost lift each finger, but it's, it's still a challenge and you're still working really hard. Okay. And what do you think is going on there? Why do you think that we just went from being able to easily differentiate each finger to now having it be a challenge to lift each one. Are we putting the tendons, um, kind of stretching them and putting them under tension? 
Yeah, we're putting the the tendons and the the muscle on the opposite side, you know, your wrist flexors on a big tension, which then creates this resistance. We don't even need resistance bands, but creates a resistance to then be able to lift your fingers. And this is actually one of the ways that I, I teach people how to stretch is it's a way to stretch, but while activating your antagonist muscles or your finger extensors. And even better, a way to start to differentiate because for everyone that's listening right now, and you can even try this, Chris, is very typical for your ring finger to be more difficult to independently lift. Yep, and, and it was. It, it barely lifted at all. Barely lifted at all. And what's the most common pulley injury? Which finger is most common? Uh, you know what? I don't know which is most common. It's, I assume that one. Yeah, it's most common your your ring finger, and it's for several reasons. It's a weaker finger. It doesn't have its own extensor tendon. Uh, it's next to the the pinky finger, which is shorter, um, so it takes more you know you know more trauma. And because of certain orientations of holds, you have a little bit more uh, deviation of your wrist uh, towards your pinky. Like if you move your wrist towards your pinky, it goes more that way than if you move it towards your thumb. So you, it it gets more load that way. Uh, but there's several reasons, but what I find very interesting is it's also the, the finger that's really hard to lift in this differentiation exercise. And so I use this as a mobility exercise where first you just lift the fingers with your other hand and you assist them and you get them nice and loose. And then you use that range of motion by finding that position where it's just hard enough to lift the fingers uh, to get that stretch. And then, so should we be doing these to warm up, finding that position and lifting the fingers? I find this is less of a warm up. The warm up stuff, you're doing great. You're, you're like, you're doing the, the finger tendon glides, you're doing the flicks, that, that dynamic, uh, you know, kind of quick movement. That's fine for the warm up. This is more, all right, you're at school, you're at work, you know, you're at, you know, you're just sitting there, you have nothing to do. This is something you want to do throughout the day to start to train your fingers to differentiate better. It's, it's less something you do right before you get on the wall. Okay, gotcha. And you think that the tendon injury happening in that ring finger most commonly is potentially a result of lack of mobility in that finger? I think lack of mobility and lack of being able to differentiate movement meaning lack of being able to just move that finger without the other fingers moving together with it. Okay. And it's not something I would hang my hat on and say, oh, this is the, you know, the reason why the, the A2 pulley on the ring finger is always injured. No, the, like all those other reasons I mentioned before are, mm-hmm. you know, those are, those are the big heavy ones. But this is just something that I've just found that's quite interesting. And people that have recurrent pulley injuries, especially in that ring finger, it's really hard for them to do um, for, on that finger. And there, like I said, there's several reasons why, but it's something that everyone that's listening can try, and then you can easily do that as a mobility exercise throughout the day. Okay, cool. Um, another thing that's, that's in, uh, I'm, I want to give a couple like unique exercises for this podcast, you know, that people haven't really heard of or done before. And, and so another one uh, that's, that's interesting is if you put your, palm so the or the back of your hand flat on the table so if you just kind of rest flat on the table yeah back of your hand flat on the table palm up exactly okay and if you take your middle finger and press the tip of your middle finger into your palm 
Mm-hmm. Can you do that whilst keeping all the other fingers straight, pressing against the table? <laughs> no way. <Not> close. <laughs> no way. Not even close. Okay. So this comes in levels. So everyone that's trying that now, you know, back of the hand on the table, palm is up, pressing the, the middle finger into the palm and trying to straighten your fingers. If you can do that, great. You know, that's, you know, 20% of people I'm just ballparking or, or patients that I see, climbers I see are able to do something like that. Now, if you can't do that, Chris, can you try this? Can you, with your other hand, I was press just doing all- that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what did you feel? Uh, quite a bit of stretch trying to get my middle finger into my palm with keeping the other fingers down. And have you felt a stretch like that before? Mm, Sort of in the opposite way when I'm using middle finger monos. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, oh yeah. And you're out, you're out in lander area. So yeah, (laughs) definitely relatively regularly here. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, so this is something that you can now try is are you able to get the other fingers down with your other hand and touch your fingertip to the palm? Not quite. Nope. Can you push your other fingers down with your opposite hand and at the same time passively push your fingertips to your palm? Hmm, Let me try that. Two hands. So everyone that's listening, this is this is like the the first level is, you know, is be able to do that. And you may feel a stretch. It's a weird stretch. You feel it like almost like a tension through your wrist. I can't quite get there. Okay. Almost, but not quite. So the recommendation for this, for the people that can't quite get there and probably whoever is like using monos a lot, that's probably a, you know, that's probably a predisposing factor to that. Um, But if you just take a piece of climbing tape and you press it in between your the tip of your finger and your in your palm, then that's a way that you don't have to go all the way down. Does that make sense? Yep, kind of like using a yoga block when you're stretching. Yeah, perfect. Like using a yoga block when you're stretching. So, so the first step is doing that. And do you have any idea why that happens? Why when you actively flex your middle finger, and you can do this for each finger, not just the middle finger. I encourage everyone to try this on every finger in their hand. But do you know why when you flex your middle finger, it's so hard to keep the other fingers straight? Don't know. Because the muscles and tendons in the finger, they originate at the forearm. They come down the front of the forearm and they split into individual tendons that then go to... they're all connected down there at some point. You got it. Yeah, they're all connected right uh, right through your wrist and they're all part of the same muscle. And so if you tension one of them, it's, it's difficult to release or relax the other. But you can imagine if you have that control, potentially that could put you at less of an injury risk if you can tension, relax, release each of your fingers as you grip different types of climbing holds. Sure. The, the only injuries I've gotten from monos in the past are always, and small shallow pockets, they don't have to just be monos, but are always down in my forearm and it always feels like they got overstretched, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. And so this is something where 
if you can slowly start, and this is something I recommend go nice and easy, nice and slow, but if you can slowly start stretching in this manner, and this is a stretch that probably none of you listening to this podcast have felt much before. It's like a different type of stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can start stretching in this manner, well, you wouldn't have that strain as much if you were to, you know, go and use the, you know, the monos or different holds that, that put you in tough positions for your fingers. Right. Okay. And this is so, another thing you, you're not recommending this as a warm up, but this is no. something I could do throughout the day when I'm sitting there editing podcasts or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Throughout the day. And, and the big thing, my huge push for rock climbing I don't want people to have to go out and buy anything. I don't want people to have to go to a gym. I want everything that rock climbers do to be able to do on themselves at any moment in time. And the key is just creating these unique, simple exercises that can target the really specific positions and motions that are involved in climbing. So that's something I appreciate about your book and is that you always give options that people don't need, you know, the newfangled super mobility roller. They, they can use something else. Yeah, that was the big part. The, The new book that I have out climb injury free. The big part about that was, yeah, I don't want people to have to even by a TheraBand, like use climbing webbing instead of a TheraBand if if you need some resistance. And there's all these dirtbag tips that are built throughout the book to tell climbers, all right, if you're gonna spend, you know, X dollars on on a book to to learn how to climb, I don't want you to have to spend an extra 20 bucks to buy a TheraBand. So, you know, so go ahead and use your climbing webbing or, you know, or, or so yeah, probably tubular webbing is actually the best um, to do some of the exercises, so. Mm But so in regards, though, to that stretch that we're doing, I'm going to take it one step further. And I'm assuming you don't have a carabiner by you. Uh, So I guess, Chris, you'll have to imagine unless you have one on your desk. I have one pretty close. Let me grab it. All right. Go and grab the carabiner. All right. I got it and I'm back. All right, you got the carabiner, you're back in action. So this is an exercise that I developed called carabiner clicks. And what you do is you get in that same position. So get in that same position where your hand is on the table and your your fingers are straight, but now put the carabiner uh, against your palm and have the gate facing up. So you're almost like pressing into the gate with your middle finger. Okay. And can you press into the gate uh, with your middle finger and keep all your other fingers straight? Mm, no. No. <laughs> all right. Can you press into the gate with your? We have some stretches you need to do, Chris. <laughs> so, so, so can my, you press? My ring into, finger comes up with it every single time. Got it. All right. So the difficulty differentiating. Can you press into the gate with your ring finger and keep all the other fingers straight? Yes. Okay, so then here's an exercise. They're called carabiner clicks, but basically you can slowly build up that strength in that ring finger while improving the mobility through your other fingers, keeping them straight. And so you just try and basically unlock the gate or open the gate and release it. 
And this may be really hard for people to do. If you're not trained in this, it's like, it's really tough. So I, I recommend this stuff go step by step, nice and easy. But you can think of, well, maybe you take a Williams carabiner, like a giant locker, you know, and do it. Or maybe you <laughs> yeah. take an, yeah, you take an FS mini and once you get better and, and you do it. So there's a, you know, there's a bunch of different options, but it's a unique way for climbers to start to differentiate and stretch their, their finger muscles and tendons. Okay, cool. And if you have a carabiner that clicks really loud, you can annoy your cat. Yes, exactly. There you go. I, I'll put that in the next book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's that's fingers. Is there anything else along fingers that you want to discuss mobility wise? Um, no, I don't think so. I do think I want to highlight the fact that that you don't recommend just doing static stretches. I see a lot of people bending their fingers back and, you know, doing all these static stretches with their fingers. Um, and, and I've never been a big fan of it. Um, and I assume that that's what you're saying when you, you don't like to see static stretching. Yeah. And I second that, but I will further clarify because what I just gave you too was a static stretch, right? Mm-hmm. So, but not as a warm up. You got it. Yeah. So I don't mind static stretch 22 hours out of the day. That's fine. But the, you know, the two hours, right. That you're climbing and the five to six minutes before you get on the wall, if you're statically stretching. So if you're holding a stretch for 30 seconds or greater, then there's a potential. And this is supported by research. There's a potential. You're actually over lengthening the the muscle and tendon, making it weaker and putting you more susceptible to injury. Yep. So okay. I, I definitely, the, the stuff that you're doing, those tendon glides and finger flicks, those are the, the go-tos to, to warm up the fingers. Okay. Uh, last question. This is sort of off the topic, but it's, it's something I've heard asked a bunch of times and I've never seen a definitive answer. And maybe you don't have one, but what's your opinion on cracking your knuckles? Oh, I actually have a, a research study that's pretty interesting on this. Um, and it's like kind of like a joke research study is one that wasn't like, you know, heavily, you know, validated or researched, but this guy for, and I'm going to butcher the, the amount of time, but this guy for, for 30 years, he only cracked the knuckles on his right side, like on one, (laughs) you know, on one hand. And I don't even, I have to see if I can even find this research study. It it was mentioned, um, they brought this up, like even when I I was going through um, to get my doctorate in physical therapy through graduate school, they brought this up. He cracked his his knuckles like for 30 years, only on his right side. And he he was taking, he took images, you know, of this like sequence or whatnot. And they went and they took an image of his right and left hand and they didn't notice any additional degeneration. And so... You know, that's it's that's kind of like a tongue in cheek, you know, type sure. of re- research yeah. study and a little bit of jokingly um, describing that. But there really isn't much evidence that supports that cracking joints or, or popping knuckles or anything is detrimental or, or bad or, or can cause um you know, a lot of injury um, when it, it when you're talking about like specifically in the fingers. But I can say if you're talking about the spine, uh, sure. So the, the neck and the mid back and the low back is if you're continually like popping your back or popping a certain joint, what happens is that joint always pops and it starts getting more and more motion. So that single joint gets more mobile. 
and then the joints around it are a little bit stiffer. And so that starts to wear and tear because that gets more motion than the other joints. Right. So, right. so sense. something, yeah. So something, someone that has a tick, they always like crack in their back or their spine. I usually tell them, all right, do it, do what you need to do. There's not much research that's going to support this either way, but, but here's a biomechanical theory on what you may be doing. Right. Gotcha. I'm a, I'm a big fan of cracking my knuckles and my fingers. So and, and I don't know why. It's just something I like the feeling of, so I just do it. Yeah, the yeah. release after cracking it? Yeah. Okay. I guess uh, keep doing it. Okay. As long as, it's, long as it's not hurting me and I heard you say it. So. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> so I guess we'll, we'll move on to another uh, body region, another okay. area. Which, what do you prefer? Let's go shoulders. Okay. So shoulders are, when we talk about mobility, shoulders are really interesting because a lot of climbers overstretch their shoulders and get themselves into trouble. Okay. And I guess first, Chris, what do you normally do to stretch your shoulders? Well, just to give you a little background, my shoulders yeah, with your, are with your injuries as well. horrendous. Yeah. Um, so, and actually my right shoulder in some aspects, that's the one that was injured in some aspects is more mobile than my left because I spent so much time working on it. And in Mm -hmm. other aspects like internal rotation, it's, it's really bad. Okay. So, so mostly I do, um, the only things I really do for specific shoulder mobilization are kettlebell arm bars. And then I do, you know, eyes wise, T's, that kind of stuff, working on scapular stability and control. Okay. So it's more like resistance training or weight training, right? Mm-hmm. To a degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. No and stretching for sure. I don't do any, any stretches really. Okay. And yeah. And the most common, like, what do you see like your buddies doing at, at the crag or, you know, even at the gym to stretch their shoulders? You know, something I, I actually used to do this quite a bit and I don't anymore. And I think this is the most common thing I see are, is people bringing their arm across their body and pulling it really tight to their body. And that seems to me to kind of pull the shoulder out of its socket a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a big fan of that stretch at all. It seems like it's making that the whole rotator socket a little lax. Yeah. So this is where, like I mentioned, stretching for the shoulder is fascinating because a lot of climbers are stretching the wrong way, but they're performing the right stretches. And okay. maybe we'll start with that one that you were talking about, where basically you take your arm and you pull it across your body. And then you, mm-hmm. you take your other arm and you could press it into your chest yep, you know, to, exactly. to get a stretch. And I'm sure a lot of people listening now, they, they do that stretch as well. Well, first of all, I'm going to say if you do that stretch correctly, and even for you, that actually improves your internal rotation. That's okay. uh, so your ability to rotate your arm inwards. Uh, but if you do it incorrectly... Exactly. You can cause your shoulder blade to peel away from your spine. And so the key to that stretch is what you do. If everyone's listening right now and you have your arm straight in front of you and you're bringing it across your body, what happens is oftentimes the shoulder blade is going to go with the shoulder. Right. Rolls around. Yeah. The shoulder blade rolls around and almost rounds forward as you're in that position. And that's exactly not what you want. What you want is you want to be able, before you even get in that position, 
So you, you basically are standing, your arm is in front of you at 90 degrees, you pull your shoulder blade back, so you lock in your shoulder blade, you engage it, and then you reach that arm across your body while your shoulder blade is engaged back, and that's how you can stretch your rotator cuff in the back of your shoulder. Gotcha. So are you looking for no scapular movement through that looking stretch? Looking for mi minimal scapular movement. Okay. And the, the thing that makes that so challenging is now you're asking yourself to stretch while you're also engaging muscles, which makes it quite hard. So another thing that you can do is I have people do that against the wall. They find the, you know, their shoulder blade, they press their shoulder blade against the wall. So the wall is actually stabilizing it or even mm -hmm. in a door frame. And so now the door frame, you're leaning into it, it's stabilizing your shoulder and then you reach across body. And that way, then you can start to stretch the rotator cuff. Gotcha. So it's really interesting because if someone does that exercise without doing that engaged shoulder, they're not even stretching the right muscle. They're stretching their, their rhomboids, which are you know the, the muscles that engage the shoulder blade that you probably don't need stretched. Gotcha. So, so it's interesting with mobility, like I said, with the shoulder, there's so many things I see climbers doing wrong. Um, another one is if you lie on your back and you bend both knees and you place your feet down on the ground, Mm -hmm. And then I'm, I'm sure you're not doing this right now, but this you can, one I'm not doing. Nope. Yeah, you can imagine <laughs> that, that you're doing it. And uh, I'm having a, everyone that's listening to the podcast. Yeah, I don't know, maybe pause in between, you know, each of these anecdotes. But, um, you know, lie on your back and bend your knees and then bring your arms straight in the air and keep your elbows straight and reach all the way back and touch your, your thumb overhead. Right. with your elbows straight and touching the ground. And most people can do that, no problem. But what do you think happens with most climbers that do that? What do you think happens at their back and their rib cage? I imagine they're shrugging their traps up, flaring their ribs up and arching their back. Yeah, you got it. They're shrugging their shoulder, they're flaring their ribs and they're arching their back. Pretty much kind of what we do when we're reaching really high and tired when we climb. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, if you do that when you're climbing, well, you, sh you flare your ribs out, you lose core tension, right? right? You arch your back, you compress your spine and you shrug your shoulder, you lose scapular stability. So what I have climbers do to test them is I have them engage their rib cage or almost like exhale. So their ribs drop down, flatten their back against the ground and then try and reach overhead. And oftentimes a lot of climbers can't even touch their, their thumb to the ground or reach overhead when they're in that uh, compressed, engaged position in their yeah. spine. Yeah, I cannot. Yeah, so then that becomes a mobility exercise. Mm -hmm. You exhale, and I even turn this into an ab exercise too. You go into like a tabletop, you kick your, you know, your legs up so they're in like a 90 degree angle, your hips are on your feet. You tighten your stomach and then you just alternate bringing your arms overhead and you're just working against your own resistance to get your, your arms fully straight. Okay. Yeah, I, I do this fairly often, actually. I, and I do it pretty often lying on a foam roller as well. Yeah. And so it's, that's another it's definitely way. something I have to be really conscious of, keeping my, you know, keeping a hollow position and not letting my ribs flare up. Yeah, definitely. And the even better part is then, can you translate that to the wall? Like when right. you're climbing, 
So when you're, you know, in an overhang or you're, you know, you're reaching back or you're in a cave or, or whatever, you know, can you then apply that same concept that you do through your exercise? Yep, exactly. Yeah, I think that's, and I think that's the point of practicing it, you know, really, really putting the, the reps in and keeping your awareness high while you're working on your mobility, you're more likely to be able to transfer it over to the wall. Yeah, definitely. And then one other thing when we're on the topic of the shoulder is that I see climbers often overstretch is the letter T position. And Mm -hmm. first of all, they're probably, some of them are just stretching their nerves. You know, when you, we talked about like early on in this podcast, when you bring your arm out to the side, you, you cock your wrist back and you press against the wall and then you turn to the side. Am I describing that well? Yep. And so you feel a stretch through your chest. Well, first of all, see if that's your brachial plexus and your nerve plexus. So just move your head back and forth and and see if that changes. Um, But the other thing is most climbers overstretch their their chest muscles in that letter T, which is that's going to be called the clavicular angle of your chest muscles. Okay. But they're not as flexible in the letter Y, which is going to be your sternal fibers of your chest Mm. muscles. That's definitely the case with me. Yeah. And so you're fitting into all these patterns. (laughs) (laughs) So if you think about it, like you're on the foam roll and you're stretching out in this letter T and then you go on the foam roll and you stretch out in this letter Y, like most people can be in this letter T and their arms, you know, go against the ground, but they still can push it and get a stretch. Mm -hmm. You go into that letter Y. Oh, wow. That's quite hard to do. Now think about rock climbing. When do you need flexibility? We probably don't need a ton of flexibility in that letter T position, right? You know, it's, if you're, I'm trying to think of whatever scenario you'd be in, like a big wide Jimmy Webb compression climbs are about the only time. There you go. Yeah. So for all of you like off with chimney connoisseurs that are listening to this podcast, um, which is I'm, I'm assuming it's it's probably not you know not that many, um, but it, but yeah, that exactly. You you need that um, in that suffer fest. You need that position and that mobility. But for all other times, it's not the most common uh, you know rock climbing position. And right. so what you really need the mobility is in reaching over your head into that Y position. And so I often tell climbers, discontinue doing that T stretch. You're already flexible enough. It's like train strength, like do the letter T with a resistance band. Um, but you can stretch the letter Y position to start to get that flexibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, when I, when I do my lying on the foam roller with the foam roller on the spine, um, I do start in the T, but as soon as my hands can touch the ground in the T, I spend almost the, the entire rest of my time in varying positions of Y. Yeah. And that's the way to do it. I mean, it sounds like, I don't know, Chris, if it's because you're, you know, you do so much research, you, you know, all this stuff or you're just kinesthetic. Uh, but it sounds like a lot of the stuff that you're doing, this body awareness in each position, that's, that's all the right stuff. And maybe it's just, you went through so many shoulder injuries that you're finally on the right track. Yeah, really just the one. It was a major one, but it was one. And I think it is a, I think it's both. I think it's because I pay really close attention to all of the podcasts, the books, the, you know, when I hear people talking about it, I want to learn about it. And I think over years and years, starting as a gymnast, that I've developed a a kinesthetic awareness. Yeah. 
Well, the our bodies, like for all things, like you know, I'm I'm telling a lot of like really good content for this podcast, but above all, no, it's listen to your body, like. Mm-hmm. And I I interview, like, I talk with a lot of climbers at all different ability levels, ones that are injured, ones that aren't. And I always ask them, I'm like, do you have a piece of advice, especially the ones that are non-injured, that kept you climbing injury-free for so long? And the most, it's not doing the perfect exercise. It's not, as much as I'd want that to be the case, you know, as much as I'd want, like, someone to say, oh, yeah, I, you know, I did every single thing in your book and that was the reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, like, the probably the most important thing is you listen to your body. And when you climbed four days on and you didn't take a rest break and you were pushing on your project, well, you decided, no, I'm going to throw in the towel today and, and take it easy. And so that's that's one of the really big things that is really hard to quantify because that comes down to the individual. Yeah, we almost always know when we're about to get injured. And, and if we ignore it, you know, afterward, we always say, oh, I knew, I knew I shouldn't have tried it again. But we end up doing it anyway. Yeah. And there's some points like I get the question all the time. And when we get into the movement podcast, so when we get into talking more about climbing related movement, I'm asked all the time. All right. So you're giving me all these tips on how to climb efficiently, how to minimize stress. But when I'm on my project and I'm going for it, do you really expect me to keep my shoulder blades engaged at the crux? And my answer is no, absolutely not. Like, when you're doing your project climb like go go for it but your warm up you know your warm up climbs and everything leading up to it that's when you want to be thinking about proper technique proper movement cool yeah i think that's perfect and that's that's basically the same direction we take things as well yeah um quick question while we're on shoulders what about necks as far as belaying and you know just general we're looking up all the damn time so yeah i'm sure you see a fair amount of neck injury yeah i mean the the big thing you know with the neck i mean have you ever used blay specs or blagels or like the different oh yeah for sure yeah so it's so funny i forget this was probably i don't know like six years ago or something i put out an article on you know belayer's neck i think it was in dead point magazine and I went through all the different things to focus on it, you know, to prevent belayer's neck, you know, tuck your chin, move your neck around, step back a little bit from the wall. Here's some exercises to strengthen it. And, you know, I neglected to mention, you know, there you can also use some prism glasses where you can look up uh, while you're climbing. And I got an email, I forget from, from who, but some, I, I believe, I think it was from Phil from, from belay specs. I, yep. you know, don't, yep. don't quote me on that. Yeah. Um, Phil's a friend of mine. So I know Phil. Yeah. And he's such a great guy. Um, and he told me, he's like, Hey, did you, did you know that this product existed? And you know, I was like, I, I was like my, I'd seen them at the crag. I just hadn't put two and two together. And so I, I bought a pair and I started using them. I was like, all right, well, I mean, this is your other option. You can also just not look up all the time, keep your neck straight, (laughs) use some prism glasses, and you don't have to do all this stuff that I'm recommending. And that's one of those like aha moments. Um, But 
you know, like I'm climbing a big wall. I'm not going to be, you know, I was debating bringing them up, bringing them up all cap. And I was like, ah, you know, it's just like another thing to, to use. Um, so I, I think there's always know the tools that are available to you. But if you have stiffness in your neck, okay, well, there's also things that you can do on your own to, to prevent uh, some of that stiffness. So the, so the big thing is whoever's listening to this now, think about if you go to the climbing gym and maybe even some people are at the climbing gym right now. This is just, you know, in their ears as they're, you know, as they're warming up. Mm -hmm. If you look around at people who are belaying, uh, you know, top rope belaying or belaying people for top rope or even lead lead climbing, but go to the belay area or even if you're at the crag right now listening, go and look at the back of everybody's neck that's belaying and start to appreciate the different lines that you see. And if you look at the back of someone's neck and you do not see a line and you look in the back of someone else's neck and you see a line straight through the middle, what do you think is going on that, in that person's neck that has the line straight through the middle, that crease? And you're talking through the middle horizontally. Horizontal, yeah, exactly. A horizontal line through the middle of their neck. Yeah. So they've had, they've had some sort of issue at that spot. Exactly. Like if you look at your wrist and you flex it back and forth and you see those creases or those lines as you flex back and forth, any area with excessive motion is going to get a line. And of course, there's people with like more fatty tissue, adipose tissue, thicker skin, maybe they'll have, you know, more emphasis of that line or, you know, as you age, maybe you'll see a little bit more. But in general, it's really interesting to see. And then you start looking at those creases and you start to say, huh, that's odd. That person has a crease at the third level in the neck. That person has a crease at the sixth level at the neck. That person has a crease only on their right side. That Mm. person has a crease only on their left side. And those creases will tell a story. And they'll tell you those are the areas when the person's consistently looking up that's getting that excessive mobility, that excessive motion, that excessive compression. Right. And they're getting it right in that spot. Exactly. Yeah. And this so, is one of the things I found really interesting in your book when I was when I was reading it. Yeah. And it was, we actually had to use, um, we were doing the photo shoot with, with Sasha to Julian for the book. And she was looking, I was going to use her for like a bad, you know, bad crease position. She was looking up and I, you know, I couldn't find a crease. Like she doesn't, you know, doesn't have any, you know, issues in the neck. And I also realized I'm like, she probably doesn't belay that much. You know, (laughs) like I was just about to say that as a joke, but yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. And then uh, I just thought the other day there, I forget, it was uh, the best belayer. I don't know if you saw that or the, there was some type of climbing. I've, I've seen that video going around. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, it's pretty darn funny. Um, but um, but yeah, he's he's paying good attention to his mechanics. Um, if if anyone has a chance to see it, so I had to get one of the, the people that was uh, helping out with the shoot to be the example of like the bad neck crease, and he mm-hmm. immediately looked up and and he had that crease through the you know through the middle of the neck. Yeah, I can definitely feel quite a bit of neck fatigue when I forget to put my belay specs on before I belay, um, and a lot of that's built up over you know, 15 years of belaying without belay specs. Um, but I'm, I'm alerted pretty quickly when I don't have them on. Yeah. You, you feel those warning signs. So I guess, do you know which muscles, if you think about it, if you're compressing in the back of your neck, which muscles are the ones that you'd want to strengthen to reduce that compression? Hmm. I don't know. 
just think always think the opposite side so you're so, so you're looking at the front of your neck to strengthen. yeah so if you're constantly looking up and compressing the back of your neck the front of the neck gets over lengthened it's almost overstretched you know you're constantly with that chin up and so doing some exercises to strengthen those muscles in the front of the neck are huge and easy ones are just like lying on your back doing a chin tuck just like nodding your head slightly tucking that chin and lifting your head off the ground is a is a good way to to strengthen the muscles in the front of the neck it lengthens the ones in the back strengthens the one in the front another way is you can take your helmet and you can put the helmet against the wall go up to the wall and just press your forehead into the helmet as you're tilting your neck down and that can also straighten strengthen the muscles in the front of your neck hmm. okay so a couple different options for the neck but the you know the big thing is we're talking about for mobility and i want to emphasize this in the podcast is this topic we chose for this podcast is mobility but some people may not even need it some sure. people some people it's like go for it you got to do all these mobilization exercises and some people that are listening, it's like, uh, you probably shouldn't do any of this. You, you are already flexible. You need to stay tuned for the next podcast and listen to the strength one or the right. movement one. Yeah, I've worked with quite a few hypermobile climbers, especially hypermobile shoulders. I've seen quite a few times. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's all about tailoring the categories to your body and really saying, okay, am I a mobility person? Am I a strength person? And then I'm assuming everybody is at some level a movement person that you, you have to improve your movement efficiency on the wall. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. Um, what's your time look like? Can we jump into hips a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about hips. Cause I think those are a, a place that's often overlooked. Yeah. Now tell me, yeah. Tell me what you want to talk about with the hips, the, the parts that are overlooked or the parts that aren't talked about much. Um, really, I think, I think hips is probably one of the places where I see, you know, the difference in the working definition of flexibility and mobility really show up the most in that we've spent a lot of time growing up, stretching and, um, becoming flexible in our hips, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're mobile there. Um, so if there are specific mobility exercises that you like to use for, especially when people are coming out of some sort of hip or groin injury or something in that region, um, I wouldn't even know where to start to be honest. Yeah. So hips are interesting because it's a ball and socket joint but it's much more stable than the shoulder. Mm -hmm. And typically people get categorized in the hip issues where one, if they have issues flexing their hip. So for example, bringing their knee to their chest and they feel like a stiffness or a pinch or they just can't get past a certain point, you know, high stepping, let's say. Right. That would be one category. And then the other category would be someone that's having difficulty fully extending, you know, backstepping or, or stretching out the, the hip muscle in that extended or backwards position. Those would be the maybe two big categories I can discuss. And obviously there's, there's rotating it inwards and rotating it outwards as well. Um, but, uh, but I think maybe sticking with the, the first two we can start with. 
Okay. Sounds good. So, for example, someone that has difficulty flexing their hip up and kind of going into a high step position, it can be a couple different things that can cause that stiffness. Now, remember we talked about there's joint, there's muscle, there's nerve, there's bone. Right. So there's something called femoral acetabular impingement or FAI, where if you think about it, you take your hand and you make a socket and you take your other hand and you make a ball. So that's your hip and you move that ball in that socket. And if you move your elbow all the way up towards the sky, notice that your wrist kind of runs in the wrist runs into the into that socket. Am I describing that? Yep, totally. So, you're, so the motion is sort of prevented by the size of the socket. Yeah, prevented by the size of the socket or even the thickness of your wrist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so, so for some people, they may actually have a bony morphology or, you know, a thick neck of their femur or a uh, socket that has a lot of overcoverage that actually prevents them from doing that end range position. And those are people that will typically feel when they go into a high step, this pinch in the front of their hip. Gotcha. And of course that can be other things. It could be a labral issue, which is the cushioning in the hip. And it could be a a tendon that's getting pinched as well. But oftentimes that's something that, that I screen for is saying, well, you've been trying to stretch your hip up a lot. It hasn't been making any progress and you feel a pinch in front, maybe that's just your bone and we have to compensate and start to rotate your femur outwards a little bit when you do a high step. So modify your your technique to get the range of motion. Right, okay. So that's one thing I'll typically see. And then the other thing I'll see with climbers is anytime they go into a high step or they flex their hip really high up, the pelvis rotates underneath and their spine flexes. And so instead of getting independent motion in their hip, they're actually getting pelvic and low back motion. Yep. And so those are the climbers that I'll, they'll see often will come in with some type of, you know, discomfort in their low back and they're having difficulty really getting their, their foot up. And what I teach them to do is they actually lie down on their back. They arch their back. So they put a towel roll or something under their back and they create an arch and then they pull their knee up to their chest as tight as they can while maintaining an arch in their back. The second that they lose the arch in the back, the exercise is over. Gotcha. So keep the pelvis tilted back. Keep it tilted back. That's like one type of population is the almost think of it as a stiff hip flexing and a pelvis and a spine that move with the hip. Yep. And I think I fall into that category a little bit for sure. Okay. Yeah. So that's one. And I I actually for sure also fall into that category. And for the longest time, like for six or seven years, I just lie on my back, grab my, you know, knee into my chest and get like a nice strong stretch. But I was just, you know, flexing through my back, you know, rounding my back and rounding my pelvis to get that stretch. I was never isolating it to the hip joint. So when I got to a high step move, I would like get all the way up there and then I'd have to take my hands and literally like grab my knee and lift it an extra two inches <laughs> to get that extra foot motion. And yeah. then I'm like, oh man, now I have to press up into this. So I'm sure some of us can can empathize with that. Oh yeah, definitely. And you see someone like, you know, I'll use Margot Hayes as an example. Her back doesn't round at all and she can step 
as high as she wants to because she's moving entirely at the hip joint. Exactly. She has full independent motion at that hip. And you can think about how powerful that is because now you're maintaining stable core and low back tension. And then you can move through your hip versus once your spine rotates under and, and, your, and your pelvis rotates as well, well, you're probably not going to be as efficient with pressing off of that foot. Yep, totally. So, so that's one category for the hip. So the second category, we'll talk maybe in the opposite direction. We'll talk about those that have tight hip flexors and they can't really extend that hip very well back. Yep. And, you know, backstepping, even drop knees, um, you know, if they're pretty far out, uh, cause a lot of tension in the thigh and, and in the front of the hip. So do you do any certain exercises for your hip, Chris, to stretch out the hip flexors or the front of the hip? Or have you seen anyone do certain exercises? Yeah, actually, just recently I had a uh, I went through a functional movement screen and some other exercises with my um, with our strength and conditioning guy, Paul Corsaro. And oh, he's great. He's great. <clears throat> Yeah, and you've worked with Paul a little bit, yeah. and and I I had expected, and you know, he also reiterated this for me, and found some new things that because of all the sitting I've done and all the driving I've done over the last nine months or so, that my hips and my hamstrings and my quads have tightened up a lot, and uh, he's got me doing now, and they're they seem to be helping quite a bit what he calls a vertical plank, which is essentially, you know, sitting up, legs behind you, on your knees, you're in a vertical position, and then I hold a kettlebell in front of me and lean back while keeping a hollow plank position. So I really get a stretch through my hip flexors, and then I pull myself back into a vertical position. I like that. Yeah, and that, that's getting you mobility and strength at the same time. Right. Yep. Yeah, so no, he's that's... Got me, he's got me doing that, and I also do uh, a low bear sort of crawl to, to really emphasize, you know, driving through the hip and keeping it in a good position while driving. So, like, um, to help with your hip flexion? Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Those are two great exercises. Um, one that I'll typically do as well is I'll try and mirror the movement that people are having difficulty with on the wall. Mm -hmm. So for example, if someone's having difficult with like a drop knee and back step, what I'll do is I'll have them start in a standing position and I'll have them rotate their body into a lunge. So basically you're lunging with uh, both knees at 90 degree angles. So like right angles at both knees. But okay. as they lunge down, they crimp down with one hand and then they reach their other hand up overhead as if they were uh, basically doing a drop knee on a climbing problem. And this was one I, I believe Neil Gresham had had developed that I thought was just excellent. So I use that to to incorporate that into my warm up. Um, yeah. But is there a picture of Seagrass doing this in your book, I think? Yeah, there's a picture of Jonathan Segrist doing that in my book. And then if, if people want to check out some free content online, if you just type in uh, the Climbing Doctor warm-up or if you type in Jonathan Segrist climbing warm-up, um, you'll see him doing uh, doing this exercise as part of the On the Wall series for, for warming up for rock climbing. And maybe yep. you can put a link to that totally, you know, for will, the podcast. For sure. uh, but what's really cool about that is if you think about your hip flexors, so they attach from your femur or your thigh 
And then they actually attach up through your stomach into your spine. So right. into your, your low back, your lumbar spine. And so by arching your back or by side bending or by rotating, you actually get an additional stretch through that muscle. And it simulates a position or a movement that you would do when you're climbing. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And, and I think I just like the feeling of feeling it stretch through your whole body better than trying to isolate that one muscle. Yeah. It's um, the more you can integrate into sports specific positions, the better. Now, I can say that in the perfect world, what you would probably do is you would start with three sets of 30 seconds of some dynamic isolated stretch of the hip flexors. Then you would build in from that to the more sports specific. So that way you're preheating the oven, warming up, being very specific, and then integrating the entire body afterwards. Right, sure, makes sense. Okay, um, anything else on the hips you wanted to talk about? I think those are the, the two main things for the hips. Are there any other questions you had? I don't think so. Um, are there other common injuries that you see um, that's sort of a, a common you know, process you use to have people work through? There's oftentimes people present with hip, uh, it's called labral injury. And climbers are pretty familiar about labral injuries in the shoulder. It's the cushioning that sucks or adheres the ball into the socket. And it's also an injury that you can have in the the hip as well. And labral injuries actually come from uh, oftentimes uh, excessive motion or hypermobility in the hip and poor stabilizing muscles. So the deep muscles in the hip, uh, like the deep butt muscles or gluteal muscles, uh, usually aren't strong enough. And so just in simplistic form, and you know, I'm not gonna dive uh, really deep into this because it's not as common with climbers, uh, but what you can do is you can do simple exercises to strengthen the stabilizers in the hip. And I guess this is a mobility podcast, so we'll, we maybe we'll save strength for later. But even just lying on your side, taking a resistance band and doing something such as a clamshell. Uh, so opening your knee up towards the sky right, right. while your while your stomach is engaged. That's something simple you can do to start to stabilize the hip. But I'll save more of the stability exercises for, for next time. Okay. Uh, any other joints you think are important to look at for climbers? Well, we went through fingers, you know, for climbers, we went through shoulder and we went through hips and, you know, elbows are, are interesting. Knees are interesting as well. And, um, they're, they're kind of joints they are at junctions. So if you think about it, the knee is the junction between the thigh bone and the shin bone. And the mm-hmm. elbow is the junction between the, the forearm bones, the radius and ulna and the, the arm bone, the humerus. And so the, the joints at junctions, sometimes we treat with mobility a little bit differently, but I don't emphasize that much mobility training. Cause if you think about it, for example, for the elbow, if you fully straighten your elbow, well, that's usually a hard end feel. That's usually the, the bone that's stopping it. Unless the right. concept we gave earlier is you have a giant bicep. So you, you don't need to do necessarily a pure stretch for the elbow. But there are some things you can do, such as a tendon glide to glide the tendons across the elbow. You can uh, do, it's called paint the wall to, to start to mobilize and activate the, the wrist extensors and flexors. So those are two things for the elbow that I can throw in if you want me to kind of describe what those are. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely thinking that elbows and knees, I don't often hear much about the mobility of, um, and probably for good reason, but I do, and I do remember these from your book. I do like the two elbow, um, glides that you were just talking about the paint, the wall and the elbow glides. Um, so yeah, let's talk just a little bit about those. I, I really love the feeling actually of the paint, the wall glides. Yeah, those are, yeah, those are great. So basically in the elbow, think more of mobility as less stretching, more as this like active dynamic movement where you're stretching with muscles working per se. Mm -hmm. And so what a paint the wall is, and I just, you know, I I didn't know what to call these. I I developed the exercise. So I just, you know, I just thought of the title. Um, But but what you do is you, you take a sock and you put it over your hand. And the only reason you put the sock over your hand is because you just don't want, it's like a, you don't want that scraping noise of your skin against the wall. But um, you could do this with a bare hand as well. You go up to a wall, you straighten your elbow fully, and with your fingers pointing down, so you feel almost like a stretch on the top of your wrist or forearm, and you're pressing that into the wall. And you do that, and you move your shoulder upwards, so you feel greater stretch, and then you flip your hand around and you press into the wall with your palm pressing into the wall. So does that make sense for the listeners? So basically you're you're going from this position of pressing the back of your hand in the wall, flipping it around as you go down and pressing the front of your hand, pressing the back of your hand as you go up, front of your hand as you go down. And as you press into the wall, you get a stretch through the forearm uh, muscles in the front and back. Yeah, and it feels a little a little like I'm getting a nerve glide in there at the end ranges of that motion as well. Yeah, definitely. You're getting, you may potentially get a little bit of a nerve stretch as well. And another way to do that is instead of hand having the arm right in front of you, remember that example at the start of the podcast where we have the arm all the way out to the side in the letter T, Right. you can do paint the wall in a letter T and now you're going to build in some nerve mobility at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And you'll, so, by doing all this, you look like Daniel's son in Karate Kid because <laughs> yeah, exactly. everyone wants to look that way. Yeah. If you do injury prevention exercises, you look really cool. That should be the, <laughs> the take home message. Like, you don't know how many people come up to me at the climbing gym and say, whoa, those are really cool looking exercises. You must be crushing it. And then I jump on my 5-4. <laughs> so... Um, and then the, the other one that you talked about, uh, the, the wrist tendon glides, these ones, I, I do these ones all the time. You, you basically go into, how would you describe this, Chris? Like a T-Rex position? Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to describe it. Like a, you, you flex your elbows fully, you flex your wrists down, and you look like a Velociraptor or Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, with like little mini arms. And then what you do is you extend your elbow, so your arm is straight, as you extend your wrist and your fingers back. And most people that do this, they have a lot of trouble extending their fingers back and their wrists back right at that last part. Yep, my fingers want to curl up when I do it. Yeah, so your fingers want to curl up, so you're using all those extensor muscles, keep everything straight, and then you reverse it back into that Tyrannosaurus Rex where you flex your elbows, flex your wrist, and everything is in a tight package, and then you extend your elbows, extend your wrists and fingers, and you keep pumping. You just keep this active fluid motion, and then you start to progress that, doing the same exact thing, but doing it overhead. 
and start doing that exercise as a way to sequence the problem that you're going to get on or the route and start just kind of moving fluidly in different positions. Yeah, it looks very Tai Chi and it feels good. So Yeah, so um, yeah, so those are two of the mobility exercises for the elbow that, that I think are quite good. Okay, cool. Well, I think we've given people a ton here and I bet they're pretty much everyone listening has tried one of these and gone, oh yeah, I need to be doing that. So get to it. I think that's the the main goal here. And they can, you know, we'll do this in all the other podcast episodes as well, but where can people find your book? What's it called? How can they reach out to you? Yeah. So the book is Climb Injury Free. It's it's actually, as we speak, it's out of stock. The, f- sold, the first print run sold out, which was amazing, like super psyched on that. But yeah. we get new new copies back in. So the time this, this podcast goes out, the, the copies should be out and available. And you can get those on theclimbingdoctor.com, a doctor spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R. There's tons of resources. That's, that's the site that I put up. So there's tons of resources in addition to the book. Uh, there's also videos um, Sasha Julian, Jonathan Segrist, Sean McColl, uh, Josh Levin, they all are amazing and they, they help me with the photos and the videos for the book. Uh, so there's a video series too that you can, you can check out that, that links with the book. And um, you can also get on Amazon.com. Those are the, the two main places that you can check it out. Um, but it's, it was a lot of work to put together, but I'm super psyched on it. The big push for the book was to get climbers to treat themselves, to figure out and say, hey, I have pain in this area of my body. I'm going to take a look at a picture. Yep, that's what my pain is. I'm going to see a description oh, this is very similar to what I'm feeling. Well, here's a step-by-step plan on, on how to take care of it. And um, yeah, and it's been great. I've been pretty psyched on the response. Yeah, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really excited for you. I think, you know, I certainly appreciate the, the amount of work you've put into this and the enthusiasm that you bring to it. Um, I think is really important because a lot of these topics that we all talk about could become very, very dry if we let them. And, mm-hmm. and I think you do a good job of making it um, something that we can all be a little more excited about and be a little more willing to incorporate into our routines. So I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, my biggest uh, kind of selling point for just doing injury prevention exercises is that it's actually going to boost your climbing performance. So if you're yeah. more mobile, if you're stronger, if you're climbing with good movement patterns, well, that's probably just as good as, as developing a, or to complement a, a strong training program. Yep, I agree completely, and I definitely couldn't have said it any better. Um, so next time, we'll talk about strength, correct? Sounds great, yep. Okay, sounds good. I will see you at uh, CWA. All right, see you at the CWA. Great, thanks, Jared. Yep. Most of you are regular listeners, and you know I have this love-hate relationship with science. Um, But I have a hate-hate relationship with injury, which makes people like Dr. Veggie so important. Um, I do love movement, love-love relationship, so his focus on that really draws me in, as well as that infectious enthusiasm that I mentioned before. Uh, His book, Climb Injury Free, is back in stock, and you can find it at theclimbingdoctor.com. 
it's a great resource and will give you a clear picture of where to start if you're getting those dreaded tweaks and twinges or full-blown injuries or if you're just freaked out by getting injured and want to know how to stop that from happening. Uh, Shortly after we had this conversation, I got my first real finger injury after 20 years of climbing. And after a diagnosis and initial prescription from my friend Carrie Cooper, I used many of the methods that Dr. Veggie describes in his book. And and now, six weeks later, I'm back to climbing B9. So um, you guys should look him up and check out the book. And if you're in St. Louis, Columbia, or Alexandria, look me up. Come out to the workshops. Say hello. And you know where to find us online powercompanyclimbing.com and at powercompanyclimbing on all your social medias. Well, not all. You guys know that. And you know, Jared is a doctor, so he probably uses the Twitter machine. Look for him on there, at the climbing doctor. You won't find us there, though, because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 this